I am, um, I am so overwhelmed with uh, a lot of amazing and crazy emotions just to be in this position. I said it a little bit last week, but um, man, so grateful and honored to be able to come back and be in a church that I love so much that my family and I benefited from so much. Um, and, and we know the ministry of the movement because our hearts have been changed and we got to serve alongside this team for the last five years. So to be in this position is just a gift. It is the joy that I get to steward alongside you. And, um, and man, we, I've been dreaming with the staff, the AJ and Owens the last two weeks, talking to some folks and getting out to meet with more people and teams and just praying, trying to pray more than we planned because I know that we need the Lord's help in this next season more than just our good ideas. And let me tell you, I am, um, through our conversations, through just some stuff that we've been thinking through, and, and I'm just kind of listening as I kind of come back and figure out what's going on and where we're headed, that um, I am so eager and confident for the best days being ahead of us. Uh, I, I know that the Lord has so much in store for this family, not because of a new leader, not because of any plans that we have, but because he promises to build his church. Amen? He promises to build his church and uh, our job is just to get back to what he said to do. And there is life and promise and goodness and flourishing found in following his way for what we're supposed to live out as the church, as the sent and called people of God in Oakland and beyond. So I am, um, I'm excited. I'm excited. So I'm just kind of getting around, getting to hang with people and teams and listen. And uh, it's so good to be back. We, we loved our journey of church planning, the Life Academy team. Where you at? Where you at? We, we loved it. We loved it. And God did so much. And I, I can't wait to unpack that this last season, year and a half, of what we went through and experienced. There's just so much that God taught us that, that God did in our lives. And it's funny how we go in, and are sent out on a mission to do things for God, but that ends up being God's plan to do things in us. And so we did some stuff for God because God did some stuff through us, but really a lot of stuff happened in us uh, because we just got to partner with God in seeing his kingdom come in a new, fresh way. And so we're so excited to be back uh, with the family we love and to be as one church. I told someone, um, we never left because we didn't like y'all. <laughs> we just left because there was a mission to do, but it's good to be back to the mission together. And it's funny, last week, kind of shared my heart, and if you can go back and watch that, just share my heart on, on ways into this next season, how we can make sure to posture ourselves in a way to have God's favor on us as we move forward in this next season. This is my first sermon in person, and I'm talking about Satan and demons. What are you going to do? So um, buckle up for that. Uh, Spencer is his fault. He gave me this, this title. He said, hey, I know you're, you're into this new position, and I'm going to tell you what to preach. He thinks he's the boss still, so he's a, I love it. Spencer, if you're watching in Tahoe, we love you. Um, you're preaching in the next 10 weeks, so I can have a break. So um, but I'm excited. I, I'm excited because I talked to uh, Pastor Spencer about this series before uh, I ever came on to be in this position because I just, we're close friends and I love talking about the Bible and love talking about sermons and teaching and figuring things out. And so I was all about it. And uh, if you're new, if you don't understand where we're at, we are in a series that's going to last probably another 10 weeks as we look at God's kingdom and what that means um, as it comes on earth. God's kingdom coming on earth. The tagline that I think we are, we are centering around is this. The kingdom of God is coming to restore humanity. The kingdom of God is coming to restore 
humanity. And Pastor Spencer did a great job a few weeks ago uh, giving a big meta-narrative of the whole story of the Bible. From Genesis on to Revelation, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what the whole book is about. It's not just about personal forgiveness, he said. It's not just about getting some, some community. All those are subplots to the main thing, which is God coming to restore a broken world. What is that? Oh, church bells. Oh, should we pray? I don't know what to do. We didn't know. That's great. That's great. The Lord is on us. The Lord's favor is on us. Um, it's all about God coming to restore humanity. And so what does that look like? What does that mean that God is moving his kingdom? Isn't God already king? Isn't God already in charge? That's what we're going to unpack these next uh, probably month and a half, two months, looking through the book of Matthew. We'll start next week on what this looks like that God's kingdom comes to, to, to take over dominion on this earth and bring back what is lost and what was broken. And this is what Pastor Spencer said two weeks ago to kind of catch you up, that in the beginning, Adam and Eve, before sin wrecked everything, were vice regions created to represent God. God's the king, and they were given authority to say, hey, represent me on behalf of me, represent me to the world. Have authority, have dominion, cause flourishing to happen plant and grow and multiply and love and serve on behalf of me as a king. But sin came in, and we know the story that Satan tempts Adam and Eve with something that they already had. They already had God. They already had authority. But the throne got switched. They put themselves on the throne. And so all throughout the Bible, we see through the prophets and Israel and the kings and everyone, they're trying to form a kingdom. God is trying to form a kingdom where he is king. Not a man-made king. He is king. And then Jesus steps on the scene. This is where we are going to pick it up today, where he says, repent for the what? The kingdom of heaven is here. Like when Jesus steps onto the scene, he says, now the kingdom of heaven is here. Now in this space where I'm at, I'm bringing God's kingdom to come into this broken world. But how many of you guys know if you read through the Bible, there was some opposition to Jesus. Talked about that a few weeks ago. New opportunities. There's also new opposition. There was some opposition. Jesus was up against a kingdom that was anti-him. Anti-God, anti-good, anti-human flourishing. There was something clashing against Jesus' work to bring the kingdom of heaven to come bear on this earth. It wasn't just easy and smooth paths for Jesus. He was in a battle when he stepped foot on this earth to bring God's kingdom. And so the question I want to unpack this morning as we, and I hope you have a Bible, we're going to be walking around the Bible a lot, and we're going to be taking hopefully copious amounts of notes so you can preach this next week to someone who asks you what we talked about on Sunday. Um, we are going to be uh, answering the question, what is the kingdom of God clashing with on earth? What is it that's against Jesus so much? What is the other kingdom about? What is against God's kingdom? What is in opposition to all that God is trying to do? And in fact, if you are a Christian, you are a part of God's kingdom. So that same thing that was opposed to Jesus is opposed to you. That same thing that was opposed to Jesus, that was trying to stop Jesus from bringing his kingdom in, is in opposition to your life right now. What is the kingdom of God clashing with here on 
earth. There are two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. We're going to get into that. But one of the reasons why I think this is, this is just helpful to process together. Why are you talking about this this morning? Why not talk about some, some happy things like Jesus loving people and forgiving people? Why talk about opposition? Thinking through this and... I know it's weird talking about Satan and demons and spiritual beings because we can't see them. So we're like, ah, oh, this is kind of weird, Chris. Where are you going? You're kind of gripping your Bible a little bit tighter. You're like, his first sermon is going to go off the rocker already. Where is he? Why is he talking about this stuff? Why are we talking about it? Number one, for the reason why this matters. If we don't know about the opposition, we can't make sense of the resistance. If we don't know about the opposition that is aimed against us, then we're not able to make sense of the resistance that we're experiencing. You need to know that you Christians are in a war right now. It's not, as people say, peacetime. It's not peacetime. You are in a battle. Pastor Spencer said a cosmic battle that you entered in, and I don't know if you know this, you have a very real enemy. There's a target on your back as Christians. Now, here's why I think this matters a lot. Because some of us confuse external resistance as internal problems with ourselves. Let me unpack that. If we don't understand there's another kingdom that's opposition, that is in opposition with what God is doing and who we are, if we don't understand we have an enemy, then when we start feeling attack, when we start feeling pressure, when we start feeling wounds and, and opposition, we're going to start thinking there's a problem with us. How many of our doubts, our insecurities, our, our thoughts that God doesn't love me and he's not with me come from not because there's a problem with us, but because we're feeling some pressure and some opposition. And I want to let you know that opposition is promised by Jesus. He says that they hated me. They're going to hate you. And I have an enemy, so you're going to have an enemy. So don't lose heart when you experience opposition and resistance. Don't get confused that there's something wrong with you. Sometimes the, the internal doubt and insecurities are because of your sin. Yes, we, we need to own that. But sometimes can we just be okay with understanding that the opposition you are experiencing is sometimes due to the fact that there is a real enemy against you. And it's not your fault. It's not that you're not on track. It's not that God doesn't love you. In fact, I would say this. Oftentimes the struggle, write this down if you're taking notes, is a sign of your salvation. The struggle is a sign of your salvation. Come on. We know. We struggle and we think, are we Christian? Does God love us? Why am I feeling so much attack and so much spiritual attack and temptation and pressure? Sometimes the struggle is a sign of your salvation. Why? Because if you were on the, the team of the enemy, you wouldn't be feeling opposition. If you were on the same team as the one opposing God, you wouldn't feel any struggle. But you were not. You were on team Jesus. You were part of God's kingdom. And so there's a real enemy. So the struggle you have is a real sign that you've been really saved and there is salvation over your life. Isn't that, a, isn't that a good thing to know? That the struggle isn't a lack of salvation. It is the presence of salvation because you're at war with something. You are against, coming up against what this world is all about. The kingdom of darkness. And that was to the Christians, but if anyone in here or maybe online, to the folks online watching, don't believe in Jesus, you got to know that there is an external pressure, external resistance 
that is keeping you from believing. It's not just like you don't believe because it's a fairy tale and it's whatever and, and you're more advanced. No, no. You got to understand that there are two kingdoms and one kingdom is trying to stop you from believing in Jesus. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to come to Jesus and, and you're struggling towards that and you're like, man, I can't believe, I can't understand why I can't make sense of this. I've been walking with people, a couple that is walking close to Jesus but haven't kind of made the decision yet and they just, it, it doesn't make sense in their mind. He can't wrap his mind around it and I gotta, we gotta understand. It's not just we don't like, people just don't like Jesus. There's an external pressure keeping people from coming over to God's kingdom. There's an external pressure. There is resistance, and we need to know that there's a battle we are in. So here's the outline we're going to walk through, three parts. And it's going to be, hopefully, eye-opening to spend some time not being weird about Satan or demons, but just talk about it because the Bible talks about it. Here's my burden that I, I just am convinced for all of sermons, all of life. We need to talk about things as much as the Bible talks about things. If the Bible talks a lot about money, we should talk a lot about money, Right? The Bible talks a lot about sex. We should talk a lot about sex. The Bible talks a lot about hell. We should talk a lot about hell. Why? Because God wants us to know things based on his perspective and truth. And the Bible talks a lot about spiritual darkness, the other kingdom. And so we should spend some time talking about it because there's a reason why Jesus teaches us about this. So if writing down notes to outline the three sections we're going to be in, talking about our resistance, talking about the opposition, three things, the other kingdom, the needed rescue and the intentional response. The other kingdom, the needed rescue and the intentional response. I know, it's uncomfortable talking about the other kingdom. It's uncomfortable because we don't know a lot. Someone just told me this morning, they, this specter, maybe it was AJ talking about C.H. Lewis talking about, some people spend no time talking about Satan and demons because they're just, they think it's hogwash and fairy tale. And some people are infatuated with talking about it. And everything's a spiritual attack and everything is because of Satan. And we want to be where Jesus wants us to be. It's not fairy tale, but not everything is from that. Where is the good line? What are we really talking about? What does the Bible say? Does anyone raise your hand if you want to know what the Bible says about the other kingdom? What you're up against? This is your enemy. You need to know your enemy. And we want to know what Jesus promises to do to secure us and keep us safe from the enemy. Let me read you a quote from Charles Simeon. He was an 18th or 19th century pastor. He said this. I think we all can, we all can line up with this experience. He said, such the scripture describes our contest, our struggle to be. It's proved by every man and woman's experience that there is no person who if he only will observe the ease with which he enters into the things of this world and keeps up his attention to it and the comparative difficulty he finds as soon as ever he addresses himself to the concerns of his soul and of heavenly things shall not see that there is in him a reluctance for which he cannot account unless he acknowledges that the scriptures say there is a satanic agency and enemy against him. Charles says, if you looked at your own experience and you know if you went the way of the world, it's easy. There's not any resistance. But the moment you try to think about God's kingdom and you enter into looking at your soul and fixing your heart and looking at the heavenly things, there becomes a resistance, a reluctance. Why? Because he says there is a satanic agency, something against us. What does the Bible say about this? 
Are we making it up? Are we just giving too much power to something that shouldn't have that much power? No, Ephesians 6, 12, talking about the other kingdom. Ephesians 6, 12. You guys know this. You know this because it talks about the armor of God. Some of you have memorized that. You know about the armor of God. But Paul says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Catch this, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Whoa, that's in the Bible? It's kind of weird, Chris. The cosmic powers? What are we talking about? Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, present darkness, spiritual forces? That is from the words of Paul. He's saying a couple of things. There is another domain, another kingdom with different rulers and a different agenda. You got to know that. Another kingdom with different rulers and a different agenda. Three things he says. One, these spiritual rulers have power. They have power. They're not just around, walking around, and, and, and it's not the devil with the horns. Who's not the 666? Who cares about that stuff? They really have power. They can influence and inflict real damage and pain. The Bible's clear about that. They have power. They are spiritual rulers. God gives them control. They don't have more control than God. But somehow, in a way that I cannot explain, God has given them control. He has, he has limited their control. Number two, they are over. These rulers are over the darkness around us. He says there's a present darkness. What that present darkness means is this is a culture of our world. The domain of this world. They have a certain jurisdiction and it's carved out in the world for them to exercise their authority. And lastly, they're evil. They're not just good rulers or neutral rulers and powers. They are evil. The Bible says they are opposed to God and they are opposed to you and they are opposed to all that is good. Wow. So what do we, what do we need to know about this kingdom then? And this is what I, this is how I write sermons and how I study the Bible. I just want to ask and answer questions. If I see something in the Bible that tells me this kind of claim that there are spiritual rulers, my next question is, what does it look like to be under this kind of authority? What does it look like to be in this kind of kingdom? What does it look like to have these kind of evil powers influencing you? What does the kingdom of darkness look like? Two things that we can learn about the kingdom of darkness that's going to help us in understanding what the world's under and what we've been rescued to. And we're going to connect it to God's coming kingdom. What do we need to know about this other kingdom? Number one. Satan has rule over the world. Now, I said that in Ephesians, but check this out. 1 John 5.19. This is crazy. John writes this in 1 John 5. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. This is offensive to, this could be real easily offensive to us and to the world, that the Bible is saying the whole world lies under the power of Satan. Have you ever thought about that? No, no, we think Satan is like messing around over here in this corner or over here in this corner. The evil spiritual stuff is over here. But the Bible gives us this cosmic picture that for somehow, some reason, I can't explain, the whole world lies under the power, the sway, the influence, the pressure of Satan. Now, that 
literally means one implication. Everyone who is not in God's kingdom is by default under this kingdom. That's a jarring statement. Are we okay with, with coming to that conclusion? The Bible says that, that everyone who is not a part of God's kingdom is under Satan's kingdom. That's what Pastor Spencer said a couple of weeks ago. There really are two kingdoms fighting against each other. And if you're not a part of God's kingdom, there's no neutral place. You could be a good moral person, but the Bible gives you two options. You are part of God's kingdom or you are under the influence and sway and authority and jurisdiction of Satan. Now, Jesus calls Satan this interesting title in John. He says, Satan is the ruler of this world. How could Jesus say that? Isn't Jesus the king? Kanye West said it. It has to be true. Jesus is literally the king. So how can Satan be the ruler of this world? Well, he literally is trying to help us understand that he is ruling the world, but that's all he rules. And he has authority, but it's limited. He has jurisdiction in certain places. And those places are where Jesus is not Lord. Those places, which are people and groups, are where Jesus is not king. Where does he have authority? In the spots that Jesus is not reigning and ruling functionally. I don't know if you know this about Satan, but the word Satan doesn't just mean devil with a pitchfork and whatever you want to see Satan as. The word Satan is just a title in a Hebrew word for the name adversary. It means to resist and oppose. And so that means one clear thing, that when you're under Satan's dominion and kingdom... You are in opposition to all that God is doing, and Satan is in opposition. Commentator said this, Satan's work is essentially trying to undo God's work by turning people aside from doing God's will that is causing them to sin. What does Jesus say to pray? Your kingdom come, what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how God kingdom, God's kingdom comes when his will is done, where people live out what he says to do. But Satan's agenda is to steer people away from doing God's will, to keep people away from doing God's will. I'm going to say this later, but you got to know it is not. Satan's agenda isn't, his only trick up his sleeve isn't getting people to, to, to do sacrifices and seances. It can be simply as turning away from following what God says in the scriptures. That is satanic influence, and that this domain is marked by this opposition to God's will. What is opposition to God's will? One word, sin. Anything that is sin is in opposition to what God would desire for human flourishing and for his kingdom to be built up. Satan is all about helping people, influencing people to love sin, to pursue it, to worship it over God. So that means that everyone under his rule in this kingdom is enslaved to sin. Sin has power over them. You know that before you came to Christ, there was this hole that sin had on you that is no longer there. Do you sin as a Christian? Yes or yes? But the relationship between you and sin, sin and you, has been severed. It is not a slave master anymore. It does not call the shots in your life. But those in Satan's dominion, it does. Sin, get this, is the language and currency of Satan's kingdom. It's this mirage of autonomy, just like the apple in the garden. I don't know if it was an apple. 
message Bible says it was apple. It could have been apple. It could have been orange. But reaching out to get what you can so that you can be in control over your life. But it wasn't. They reached out to get what they already had, and in the same swap, Satan made them subjugated to him as ruler. They lost their freedom. They had freedom, but they lost it. It's a mirage of autonomy. Those in God's kingdom are under this influence of Satan. That's why Ephesians says, chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. And you were dead in your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul is saying, before you got saved by grace through Jesus, you were literally following Satan, and his influence was in your heart, to cause you to disobey. You might not have known it. People can't put a finger on it. But just because people can't put a finger on it doesn't mean it's not a reality in their life. We know the evil around us. Come on. You turn on the news for 10 minutes, and you, there's no way you can logically deduce that there's not some kind of evil force in this world causing people to do horrible things. Where does all this darkness come from? If not for an enemy whose one desire is to get us to walk into darkness and away from the light. Number one, Satan rules and oppresses the world through sin. Number two, this is very specific but very important to understand. Satan is blinding the world. What, Chris? Satan is blinding the world. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. I said we're going to be a lot in the Bible. I don't want this to be my opinion. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, Paul says, the God of this world, lower capital or lowercase g, God of this world, Satan, catch this, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Whoa! Did you know that? Satan is actively blinding the minds of those who don't yet believe in Jesus. What is he blinding them from seeing? He goes on, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, Satan's main tactic in his kingdom is to come at your mind. And the evil powers of this world are causing spiritual blindness. Wonder why people can't see Jesus. Wonder why people don't see Jesus as you see Jesus. He keeps people from seeing and making sense of the reality of Jesus. I know this to be true because one day I was walking in my life, 17 years old, and I had no interest in Jesus. I knew about him, but I did not see him as God or beautiful. And then another day, after I went to this church camp and heard a sermon, I walked out and something clicked where the things that I already knew became things that I finally could see as real. I knew them before, but I started seeing them as beautiful. I knew them. People might know Jesus you can know about Jesus and still be blind to who he is. So Satan wants to dull people into knowing a lot of facts about God, but letting them be blind to who he is as supreme king and most beautiful. That is Satan's agenda in this world to keep people blinded to the beauty of Jesus. He causes people to see other things as more glorious than God. Come on. Satan's main ploy is to cause people in this world to see other things as more beautiful than God. Now, I said this earlier, let me break it down. The rule of Satan, his kingdom, doesn't always look like witchcraft and seances. We think 
the Enneagram, the, the 666, the Pentagram, whatever, all these things and the, and the, and the rituals and the, the goat head and all these things are like the mark of the beast and we're afraid of that. No, no, no. What you need to be afraid of is not those things. We shouldn't be afraid at all, but we should understand what Satan is doing. It's not just witchcraft and seances. Catch this. Oftentimes, it's the quiet reasoning that says we have outgrown the idea of God. Sometimes Satan's best work in the unbelieving world is to say, oh, come on, this is, this is, this is what logical people think. That I, the idea of God is old and ancient, and we have matured from that. Do you see that as a ploy from Satan? Oftentimes it's the hard heart that looks to Jesus as mere foolishness and fairy tale. Oh, but we want to put Satan over here as this big, huge, this, the, the church of Satan. There's a real church of Satan that people literally subscribe to and are a part of. That's not ma Satan's main tactic. People in the world can see that as, as, as an easy tactic. But changing the mind, to dull the mind to Jesus, to think it's a foolish fairy tale. Lastly, oftentimes it's the confident perspective that says all good people go to heaven. One of Satan's main ploys in keeping people blinded from seeing Jesus is this confident perspective that I've met people, they have it, that says all good people go to heaven. If you live a moral life, you're going to be with God. That is a lie from no other place in the pit of hell. If that was the truth, there would be no need of Jesus. But can you see how Satan, he's called the father of lies, just snakes in and twists the truth a little bit. Twists the truth enough to get people to be blinded to Jesus and his reality. It's not just the big scary things. It's the small hard hearts and the quiet reasonings and the perspectives that don't see Jesus as the Bible says he is. So what does his kingdom look like? His domain and jurisdiction is over those who don't believe in him. And he oppresses the world through sin. And he blinds the world from seeing Jesus. He oppresses the world through sin. He rules over them. He helps people say, sin is better. Sin is better. Sin is better. And he blinds the world from seeing Jesus. Now I can go further into that, but that's just enough for us to realize what Satan's rule looks like what he's doing in this other kingdom. But what's so important to understand in context of that, in light of that, is what did Jesus do because of that? See, if you know that Jesus saved you, but you understand the kingdom he saved you from, you lose some perspective on this story. If you don't know what you were saved from, it's going to be hard to have clarity around what is happening in your life and in the world. So, number one, the other kingdom, we see it as an oppressive and blinding thing from Satan to keep people from trusting and loving and following God's will. Number two, the needed rescue. The needed rescue. Jesus came, number one, to destroy the devil. See, I don't know if maybe you went to Sunday school and you heard about the cross, but probably the most apparent lesson about the cross is that Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. Is that true? Yes, very much so. He died to wipe away your debt, to forgive you of your sins, to secure a place in eternity with God. That is very true. But 
check out what John says. He twists the mission and motive of Jesus. In light of this other kingdom, this is what Jesus has come to do. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared, 1 John 3, 8, was to destroy the works of the devil. You ever read that verse? It's crazy. The reason, the main effort, all of the, the, the motion and energy behind why Jesus came was in a meta-narrative perspective to destroy the works of the devil. It wasn't just personal salvation. It was cosmic redemption from a bad and dark kingdom. It wasn't just, I'm going to secure a few people and save them so they can be with me. He is going in and rescuing people from another kingdom. He came to undo and destroy the works of Satan. John Piper said this, I love this. God's infiltration, rebel, God's infiltration to a rebel planet on search and destroy mission. That's what Jesus came to do. He infiltrated a rebel planet with a kingdom that was opposed to his kingdom on a search and destroy mission to rescue people who were enslaved to this tyranny of Satan. To free people from the oppression of sin and to help people see the beauty of God. I want us to see, church family, as we talk about God's kingdom, that Jesus and the devil, there is an interaction that Jesus knew when he came. That's why the first thing that happened after baptism was he went to the wilderness and was tempted by Satan. Don't get fooled. That is the mission. He came to undo it, and he undid it right there. He undid it as he healed people. He undid it as he cast out demons. He undid it as he taught the word of God. He undid it as he loved sinners, and then he undid it on the cross. So how exactly did Jesus rescue us from this kingdom? What and how did God's kingdom come against Satan's kingdom? How did it oppose what Satan was doing? This is, um, this is amazing. This is a beautiful reality. You can, if you have a Bible, I really want you to turn here, open your phones with me to Colossians 2. Colossians 2, chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus' main work was to destroy the works of the devil. He came in to rescue people from oppression, to open blind eyes. Right? That's what Jesus says. It's the year of the Lord's favor. I've came to set the captives free and to open the eyes of the blind. That was Jesus' work. He's been telling us since day one of his ministry, I'm coming to undo what Satan has done. But how did he do it? Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the sinful nature, God made alive together with him. God made you alive. You were dead in your sin. God made you alive. Catch this. Having forgiven us of all our sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. We owed a debt because of our sin. We had legal demands to be punished because of our sin. And he forgave us. This he set aside, Paul says, verse 15, nailing it to the cross. Now look at what he says next. He talks about the cross. This is what Jesus did. He forgave your sins. He nailed your legal demands and debt, what you had to pay. He took care of it, but he makes the connection to the cross by saying this. Wow. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Where do we just see the rulers and authorities language? In Ephesians. 
the cosmic evil powers, these rulers and authorities. What's the connection between forgiveness of sin and triumphing over Satan? Catch this, church family. When Jesus canceled our debt, he took away the very thing that gave Satan power over our life. When Jesus canceled our debt, he took away the very, oh my gosh, the very thing that gave Satan power over your life. Forgiveness of sin wasn't just some personal thing he did to get you into heaven. He defeated Satan so he would no longer have dominion and jurisdiction over your life. The very thing that Satan has been doing to get you, lulling you to sin, to do his will, not God's will, Jesus cuts at the source. That's why Revelation 12.10 says this, Satan accuses Christians night and day before God. He is called the accuser. He accuses you. Man, look at this sin. You're condemned. God doesn't love you. Look at how horrible. You did that again. You did that again. How horrible. You're not a son of God. You're not a daughter of God. God's not with you. And he lobs accusations at Christians. But catch this. Jesus canceled the debt we owed. He cleared our guilt. He was condemned for us in our place. Therefore, Satan is stripped of his rule and reign over our lives. Because there is no more power over sin, there is no more rule of Satan. Because there is no power over sin of your life, there is no place for Satan to rule. He rules through sin. He rules so he can get you to sin. And because Jesus took care of sin, he can't accuse you. What is he going to accuse you of? Empty accusations is all he can do to you, church family. Empty accusations. He lives to condemn us. He lives to have us fear death. He lives to keep us enslaved to sin. But there's no power in him anymore because Jesus stripped away the very thing that gave him power over our life. And that is why Colossians says this. Colossians 1.13 Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the king kingdom of his beloved son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the other kingdom that oppresses people with sin and blinds people from Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, Colossians 1.13, to the kingdom of Jesus. In Christ, God invaded Satan's territory and delivered people to freedom. You want to know what God's kingdom is about? Liberating the captives. That is God's kingdom. There are people oppressed all around us by sin. We're looking at the culture thinking that's the enemy. There is a real enemy that is not that enemy, and he does things that you cannot see, but is way more damaging and damning than the culture. He is behind the culture. Paul says you are no longer a citizen of his kingdom anymore. He has no jurisdiction over you. His words no longer have power over us, and his attacks can now be defended. We're going to get to this as we end, but catch this. The world cannot defend against Satan. Why? Because he has power over their lives, and they are in his kingdom. But who can defend against Satan? Christians. Why? Because he has no power over us. You can defend against the attacks. You don't just sit there and take them. You can actually fight back. Now, 
we go, okay, but spiritual warfare, Satan can still attack. I mean, he's still roaming around. Didn't Jesus, didn't God's kingdom come and take out Satan? Didn't Jesus kill Satan? Didn't he triumph over him on the cross? Why are we still experiencing this? Catch this out. This is the best way to explain it. Like a snake, Satan can still strike, but he has been defamed. His lethal poison is gone. When you have a snake that has poison, I don't know anything about this. I'll Google this. I ain't trying to mess with snakes. They are the devil. But when you have snakes and they have poison in their fangs, you don't have to take away the fangs. You can take away the glands. It's called defanging, the poisonous glands, so that if they did bite you, it will still hurt, but they cannot kill you. Woo! Satan can bite you. He can sting you. He can attack you, but he cannot harm you. He can wound you, but he can't win. He can wound you, but he can't win. Come on, is that exciting for someone inside here that needs to know that Satan can attack you, but he can't be against you fully because Jesus is in you? By the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he who is of the world. That's not a coffee, a coffee cup verse to put in your cupboard. That's a verse to own every single day. That Satan has no influence over your life. He might mess with you, but he ain't taking you out. That's why Paul says you've been transferred. What does that mean? Removed from one place to another. In the ancient world, uh, when, a, when, when an empire won a victory, they would take all the people as a conquest. This has happened to Israel. Babylon came in and conquered Israel and took all of Israel, all the belongings, all the people, and brought them back to Babylon. They changed kingdoms. They changed kings. They changed locations. You see where Paul is getting at? Jesus has transferred you. He has come in and conquered the dominion of darkness and has taken you out of this oppressive kingdom and brought you into a better kingdom with a better king. You are literally in a different location. Literally. Now, you might be in the same house when you weren't saved and now you're saved, but there is a different jurisdiction over your life, different authority, different king, different agenda, different power. Satan has jurisdiction over this world. He reigns. He's evil. He oppresses people. But Jesus has come to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind and now we are not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from a victory. There's a battle. There's a battle, but you're not fighting for a victory that you don't already have. You have the victory. Now, this is all good head knowledge. I'm hopefully it's encouraging to you and that God's speaking to you. If, you. if maybe you have felt, and I encourage you, church family, you need to read the Bible daily to understand what God is saying. Because there are things in the Bible that talk about what Satan is trying to do to attack you as a Christian, and you're not going to know what he's doing. He can't kill you, but he can attack you. And do you want to live a life where you're just open and acceptable to all of his attacks? No. You want to know what he's up to. So three ways to respond, and we'll close out. It's God's kingdom is moving in through Jesus. And I love that. That's why... For the longest time, I didn't understand this. Why does Jesus keep on defeating um, or, or, or healing people who were demon-possessed? I don't know if you know the story of Mark. This is a side tangent, but it's so beautiful. He goes up to this person who was healed with all these, or has uh, inflicted by all these demons, and the demons go, oh, Jesus, please. I know you. Don't mess with us. Please, don't, don't destroy us. Send us into the pigs so we can jump off and go into the water. 
Even the saints, even the demons know Jesus' power. And they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. God's kingdom is coming. But how do we respond? Three things. Number one, a strategy for our warfare. A strategy for our warfare. What do you mean, Chris? This helps us, all of this helps us know what we are up against so we can properly engage the battle. If we are about building the kingdom, which we are about, then we have to know how to build the kingdom and how to get uh, uh, ready to defend the attacks of Satan. Paul says Ephesians 6.12, I read it earlier, but we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. Why does he say that? Because... Our strategies are largely determined by our enemies. Our strategies are largely determined by our enemies. You change your strategy based on who you are up against. In football, you change your game plan based on the team you are playing. Your strategy is determined by who you're up against. If our enemy is not people, but demonic spiritual forces, then our strategy must be different. That's why Paul says later on in that passage, if your enemy is not those around you, not the world, but that influence behind the world, then he says this, take up the whole armor of God. See, if our enemy was you and I in the world and politicians, then we can use human efforts to, to, to engage the battle. But Paul is saying your enemy is not human. It's not flesh and blood. They might seem like your enemy because they are opposed to you, but there is something realer and more dangerous underneath them that is causing them to be opposed to you. He says, put on the whole armor of God. I'm not going to go through it, but one of the ways that we fight against the attacks of the enemy and this kingdom is to put on what the gospel gave you. He goes through all of these things, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. Why does he, belt of truth, why does he say these things? All those things are, are implications of the gospel. All the, the whole armor of God is just functionally implications of what Jesus brought for you. He made you righteous. He gave you faith. He gave you protection on, helmet of salvation to protect your mind. He gave you truth. So as you read through the scriptures, loved ones, you got to open up the Bible and say, this is what the gospel did for me. And the Bible says in Colossians, put on then, as God's chosen race, put on the, the clothes of Jesus. Put on the gospel. You got to put it on. Jesus saved you, but you got to do work to, to, to actually put on the truth. This could be sitting in your house. If you don't know it, it's not a sword. This is called the sword of the spirit. This is the only offensive weapon that, the, that Paul says in that thing that we fight spiritual warfare. And if this is sitting in your home, but you don't know it, you're going to battle without your weapon. None of y'all want to go to a battle without a weapon. The Bible is important. The truth of God. The gospel of Jesus is not just a ticket out of hell. It's a weapon against hell. It's not just a ticket out of hell. The gospel didn't just get us out of hell. It's the weapon also against hell. And then lastly, on the strategy of warfare, verse 18, this is what I, I'm just more dedicated to this than ever before. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. He closes out the whole armor of God. You still with me, guys? You still with me? He closes out the whole armor of God by saying, you got to keep praying. You got to pray at all times. Not pray occasionally, pray at all times. That makes me think the enemy is attacking at all times. 
again, he can't win, but he can still wound you. And if we're not praying, we are opening ourselves up to more attacks than we would want to. If our enemies are spiritual, our weapons must be spiritual. Prayer does what you and I cannot do in our own power. So I got to tell you, this is on my heart more than ever before. As we've been with the staff these last few weeks, as I'm in this position, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here, but I don't want to make a whole bunch of plans and make a whole bunch of decisions. We are spending time praying more than I've ever prayed with people before. Praying, praying, praying. Why? Because not just against the enemy. I need to hear God. I need to be on God's wavelength. I need to know what he desires. And this whole battle is spiritual. So you can't go through with human strategies or efforts. There's a story in Acts where this guy comes and tries to heal a demonic spirit, but he didn't go in Jesus' name. He got whooped up, and the Bible says that he left screaming naked. I don't want that. That's not my story. That's not going to be my story. Some of all are just getting whooped up by Satan and we're running away butt naked because we got our handed to us. I'm sorry, but, but we need to actually put on the armor of God and continue to rely on the Spirit's power in prayer if we have a chance to fight in this battle. You can coast all through life without fighting, but it's going to suck. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be hard. God wants you to fight. Number two. Not only a strategy for our warfare, but a burden for our world. I'll go through this quickly and we'll wrap up. If you think about what Paul just said in Ephesians 6, that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual enemies. Catch this. This is really important. We do not fight against humans, but against evil spiritual rulers. Now, this creates a burden for us for the world, because oftentimes we see the world as our enemy. And when, when you are faced with an enemy, you either do two things. You fight or you flee. Oftentimes, we are tempted to either fight the world, thinking they're the enemy. We're going to fight against them. We're going to take down culture. We're going to take down this politician. We're going to fight for this law. Look, at that's great. That, those are things we need to do. But just be aware that the people around you that don't know Jesus are not your enemies. You don't fight against them. And we definitely don't flee from them. We don't create our own Christian subculture and said, screw y'all, we're doing our own thing. We're not going to fight you, but we're going to hide behind the walls. It's neither fight or flee. Catch this. Jesus didn't see the world as enemies to battle, but captives to liberate. What might change if you saw the world as under the tyranny of Satan? So much of our conversation sometimes in the church, man, can you believe this person doesn't know Jesus or doing X, Y, and C? And we, we rile up ourselves against the world. Our hearts should not be hard against an evil world. They should break for an evil world because they are oppressed by a cruel master, blinded from seeing Jesus. Do you see the world as being captives and blinded? Or do you see them as they're the ones making all the calls on why they hate Jesus and are against the church? Look, people have their own their own decisions. They can make their own calls. But you got to understand there's a power behind them that is influencing them to go in this direction. So may our hearts break a burden for our world. It should break our heart when we see people. We should lean in with compassion, not try to oppose them. It should fuel our engagement. If you're lacking some, some fuel for your mission to build God's kingdom, then think of it this way. You get to partner with God in literally doing what Jesus said, setting the captives free. 
opening the eyes of the blind, proclaiming good news to the poor, you get a partner with God in that. They are not your enemies to fight against. They are people that need help. Man, can, I, can you put yourself in a position where you were before Jesus? Would you want Christians to see you as the enemy to shun or as a captive to come liberate? I want us as a church, as we build God's kingdom and evangelize, we're not doing it because they're evil out there. Yes, they're evil. And your butt was evil too before Jesus. And you need to love them, not oppose them. Our burden should, our heart should break for a world that is under this kind of tyranny. A strategy for our warfare, a burden for our world, and lastly, a boldness for our work. I said this earlier, we need to stop living like we are fighting for a victory and actually start living and fighting from the victory we have. Let me give you four ways that looks practical in your life. Four ways Satan's going to try to get at you in four ways you can right now in Christ have a victory and stand on it, a boldness for our work. Number one, Satan can lob accusations, but you can say right back, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Every time that Satan lobs an accusation at you, you say, who is there to condemn me? It is God who justified me. Yes, I'm a sinner, but you can't accuse me because God justified me. There's no condemnation. There's no sin to accuse. Number two, Satan can tempt you with sin, and you can say right back, I died to sin, and I'm now free. Romans 6. I died to this. Family, do not go back to the change that was broken over your life. You were freed from sin. Are you going to sin? Yes, but the power that sin had over your life has been broken, and that's why you can break addictions. That's why you can break free of patterns. That's why you can change your direction of your life, not because you're strong, but because Jesus was strong enough to break the power over your life, and you died to sin, and am now free. Paul says, I died with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He broke those chains. Number three, when Satan whispers lies to deceive you and to distrust God, you can say, I have the very word of God in my heart and in my hand. Every time Satan comes at you with lies, let me tell you, his tactic in the mind, I don't know about you, there's lies that pop around in my mind so often about people, about me, about God, about this world. What are you going to do? Believe them? Figure out how to filter through them yourself? Or answer back to Satan, I have the very source of truth. You cannot lie to me anymore. And lastly, Satan can say, you are under my rule. But you can say, I am now a citizen of the kingdom of God. I have moved. I have been transferred. I no longer live in your country. I no longer live under your domain. I no longer say you are my king. I have a different king and a better kingdom. You have no authority over me. You guys stand. I want to read this to you. Strategy for our warfare. We need the gospel and prayer if we're going to fight against our enemy. A burden for our world. We need to have hearts that break for people because they're captives, not opposing them. And a boldness for our work. We have everything in Christ to fight against these attacks. Let me read this over you as a blessing, but also as 
a truth about God's kingdom and your position in it. It's from Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, Chris, if God is for me, if God is for me, who can be against me? Can you just take a moment, say that to yourself? If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? No one. If God is for you, no one can be against you. No, Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Catch this, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church family, you are secure, you are saved, you are rescued. You have the victory. So let's go build the kingdom. You have the victory. So let's take some risks. You have the victory. Don't shy away. I'll be honest, coming in as, as a newly pastor of this church, I know there's just kind of moving parts and coming in. This is a lot stepping into to a position where my brother, Pastor Ed, mentor, this is big shoes to fill because he was such a man of God and great leader. I love him and I'm who I am because of him. But one of the things that the enemy tried to do during his whole process was say, you don't have what it takes to be in this position. And the truth that I went back to every time was that you're right. In myself, I don't have what it takes. But Jesus called me. He justified me. He filled me with the Spirit. He saved me. He's going to glorify me in heaven. Literally, I don't have what it takes. That's exactly why I'm in a perfect position to be here, because Jesus has what it takes. You don't have what it takes. Praise God for that, because the Spirit of God lives in you. I have full confidence for this next season full confidence that we are going to experience nothing short of the glory of Jesus as a church. Why? Because we have the victory. We have the victory. And that's something to rejoice in. Amen. Can I pray for you guys?